Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Welcome, as always, to GM Shuffle. Please support us in Apple Podcasts where you can subscribe, rate, and review. So, a break in the World Series last night. So, okay, let me give my wife a break as well from four kids. Let's go out for dinner. Had a nice little meal in Jersey City, a French place called Madame B's. I mean, it was fantastic. A little live jazz outside. Really good. And I said, okay, when I get home, I'm going to watch, obviously, the rest of the Giants-Eagles game. I'm DVRing it. I get home. Mike Lombardi, and it's midway through the third quarter, 14-10. I go, okay, looks like a bit of a snooze fest so far. I go through the DVR and watch it. And then I see this thrilling Eagles comeback, and they're able to win this game. They're down by 11 under five minutes to go. Went with a great pass to Boston Scott. But I got to tell you, you know what my first thought was? The Eagles almost lost this game with these two-point converts, which I know has been a real sore spot for you. You were talking about it previously on the GM Shuffle. 0 for 3 with two-point converts. I mean, they almost lost this game, Mike, because they were down 21-16, went for the two-point convert, missed it. Then if they'd made that, they would have been down by three, easily would have had a field goal, but instead they ended up winning it. Bottom line is this. Yes, you won. Wentz is a warrior. The whole offensive line is in shambles. The Giants should be embarrassed themselves. We'll make fun of Daniel Jones falling in a second. But these two-point convert, Mikes, are you kidding me? I mean, you know, it just goes on and on. I mean, the two-point play was just, you know, what are we doing? Like, seriously. And then how about the, you know, they get the ball down on the goal line. or they're fourth, and they're, they're fourth down. Of course, he goes for it. Like, I can't figure out anymore. Like, if you set up, like, I'm going to set up a, a uh, like, the CIA has a department where they just analyze Putin and every movie makes. Uh, you know, in the movie Patton, where had, they had that guy that studied Patton, and he said Patton wouldn't do this, you know. So, if you had a guy that studied Doug Peterson, you would be all screwed up, because you can't predict what he's going to do. Like, one year, he's going for it on fourth down. Now, he's kicking 57-yard field goals. Then, he's not going for it. Then, he's punting. Like, I, I get, there's no rhyme or reason. So, you know, it's like, he's got all the people. Like, who was ever doing the analysis of him is like, I'm confused, right? Like, I, I give up. So, I mean, so here we are. Let's go back before the two-point play. He he goes in there and he calls, he's got his quarterback who has gotten a living dog shit kicked out of him the entire <laughs> game, right? And, and the kid said that Troy Aikman, and he said to Buck, he, he said, I'm still sore from Sunday. Of course, naturally, Doug doesn't think that's an issue. They just run him. No problem. Just keep running. It's all good. Just keep getting the shit beat out of you, you know? And when you're done, we'll put Put, you know, we'll put somebody else in. Then, so on the third down play, they run quarterback draw from the eight-yard line. Like, that's a hard call from the eight. Like, that's not a call you want to make from the eight. You want to might want to make it from the five in, but, to, you know, you're not going to part the Red Sea. Moses ain't on the field. You're not parting the Red Sea to get eight yards, right? Like, that's a hard call with the quarterback draw. These guys react. They're paid, too. So he calls the quarterback draw. He, of course, he gets the shit knocked out of him. You know, and I'm like, are you kidding me? And then the fourth down calls. Just So let's just put this in perspective. He gets in there. It's the, it's the game that we've got to win the game on this call. He puts in a rookie. He puts in a second-year player, Hakeem Butler, from Iowa State, who was a wide receiver with bad hands at Iowa State who got drafted by the Cardinals because he had great size. He goes out there. He can't make their team. He can't really do anything. He can't win on the outside. Everybody says, let's make him a tight end. 
So they try to make him a tight end. The Eagles take him off their practice squad. He's never played in an NFL game before or made a catch in an NFL game. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go and I'm going to line him up outside and I'm going to throw an alley-oop to him. One of the the worst calls of all of football, throw an alley-oop. Like it's 50-50. It's a 50-50 proposition, right? It ain't, you know. And now I'm throwing it to a guy who hasn't caught an NFL pass in his entire life, who wasn't with us at the beginning of the season. I really don't know this guy. I just met him, you know? Like, how does that happen? Like, how does a billion-dollar industry come down to that level of uh, of decision-making? I mean, somebody's got to answer that for me. Like, seriously, you mean, we? Th- this is what we thought of on Wednesday, on Tuesday more afternoon. Hey, if we get down the red area, let's put Akeem Butler in the game and we'll throw an alley-oop to him. Isn't that a great idea? Yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do that. That's tremendous. <laughs> Why didn't we think of this sooner? I mean, it was just, you're pulling your hair out watching that game. You go, you know, if if football is a chess match, like we, we are still searching for Bobby Fischer because Doug Peterson and Joe Judge, neither of those guys are, are chess masters in that game last night. Like, okay, let's go specific to players. So I'm with the strategy like, God, Carson went to these draw plays and two-point converts, like an off plays. How about Evan Ingram and the drops? How about Daniel Jones running 80 yards and then falling like an imaginary sniper got him? Like these are meme-worthy moments. Like the low right now New York sports fans must feel, it's embarrassing. It really is. And I feel bad for Joe. I do. I feel bad because I think what Joe has been able to do with the football giants is Joe's been able to do what he knows. He's been able to bring discipline to the team, accountability to the team. He's done that. But the problem is the the head coaching position is the chief figure out officer. He's got to know the game so well that he can walk down there and tell Patrick Graham, you know, Patrick, we're 31st in an opponent's defensive third down conversion. Look, I would like to do this, this, and this. I know we're not great, but I want to do this. And then go down to the clapper, you know, and, and then walk into his office and say, Jason, here's what I want to do. I want to be able to, Joe can't do any of that. He, he can't figure out. And this is not. This is just not a knock. Like like the great Justice Scalia once said, "I'm not attacking people. I'm attacking ideas." Right? I'm not attacking Joe. I'm attacking his foundation. He's 38 years old. He's a young coach. He's never really coached on either side of the ball. He's been a special teams coach, so he can't walk down the door and he can't figure out what he could tell Garrett, what he can tell uh, Patrick Graham. This is what we need to do. Like, I don't want to do this. I want to be able to get good at this. He's at the mercy. He's at the mercy of what they tell him. And, and that's really a hard thing. And, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a challenge because, you know, you want to be able to say, what, what, can't, what, what can he fix? You know, like their, their team ranks, they are the, 30, they're the, they're the 31st team in a 32nd team in rushes and completions. I mean, they're so bad in so many numerical stats offensively, it's embarrassing, you know? And Andre Thomas, the left tackle, he's getting exposed out there. I mean, Daniel Jones is a nice player, but he, you're, you're right. He's, you're never going to win with him. But Joe can't solve any of these issues. Like, he can't say, this is what we're going to do. So they look, they look bad. I know this sounds ridiculous. They look bad, but they, they actually they, they look good, but they're bad. Does that make sense? I mean, they're poorly coached in the sense they don't know how to strategically attack, you know. But they but they have the discipline, the uniform, all that looks good. But at the but the moment the chess game starts, using your Bobby Fischer analogy, they can't play chess. 
And they can only get to a certain level of chess. Like they're never going to beat a grandmaster. They're never going to go up a level. And, and that's the problem that John Mara had when you decided to hire a guy with really no experience. You're getting his program, but you're not getting any answers for the program. That's well said. The Giants, uh, one in six now, the dregs of society here when it comes to NFC East. The Eagles improbably at two, four, and one lead the NFC East. The offense had looked better in fairness the last couple of weeks. I mean, the fact they scored 28 against the Ravens, I was still shocked by a week ago. But when Boston Scott is stepping up with the touchdowns, I mean, it's a... Uh, well, it is what it is. The Eagles have to win the East, right? I mean, don't the Eagles have to win the East as bad as the Cowboys look coaching-wise and as bad as the Cowboys are in terms of execution? And, and everybody thinks the Eagles are going to make some big trade, right? So the reality of the Eagles situation is, and I think this is really important for fans to learn and understand, is is that a lot of these teams are making moves uh it, it now they're, they're create like the, the everybody's making a big deal. The Eagles redid Fletcher Cox's contract. Okay, well the Eagles redid Fletcher Cox's contract to basically allow them to have more flexibility in 2021 because right now, based on over the cap, there's 68 million. Uh, there's 68 million in the hole if the cap stays exactly the same. If it goes down, you know, they're in deep, deep trouble. Now, they'll redo Fletcher Cox's number again next year because he's got a huge paragraph five. They'll buy more room and they'll dump a bunch of these older guys. But if they take on any cap debt, and I think this is what Minnesota decided to do with their trade, if they take on any cap debt this year, it affects them for next year. So the Cowboys redid a bunch of deals this summer, not because they wanted to add more talent to their team this year, is they want to be able to take the excess of cap room they have this year and dump it into next year. So the Jets, for example, they have $92 million worth of cap space this year, $92 million. I mean, you know, even Paulie Walnuts would love to look at that in his in his refrigerator, wouldn't he? You know, I mean, seriously. <laughs> I mean, could you imagine if Paulie Walnuts had ninety two million? Oh my god! AD? I mean, think about that, <laughs> huh? I mean, God, do you imagine you imagine the sweatsuits he would buy with ninety two million? I'm sorry, eighty two million. So they've got eighty two million, right? So what they're going to do with the eighty two million is is they're going to take the eighty two million and they're going to roll it into next year. So instead of the instead of their cap being at let's say 190, the cap will go up for them 82 million. They'll just book all that, they'll roll that money into next year. So every team is trying to get their cap in order to roll money into next year. And that's why teams are reluctant to take on players this year. Now, the the Ravens, no problem. They have cap room going into next year. I mean, the Ravens are a really well-run that their cap's excellent. They they have a you know they have thirty nine players on the roster next year. They got forty three million dollars. They trade for uh, Indakwe, but they know that they're going to get a compensatory pick for him anyway. So if they don't sign him for the twenty twenty one season, he'll eventually get signed by somebody, the Jets, the Colts, somebody, and they'll get a reward for it back on their dollars. So that's what's going on. And the Eagles, who want to trade Zach Ertz, can't. Because he's hurt now. Who wants him? Who's going to trade for Zach Ertz, take on his salary, and then have him stand next to me and watch the game? Yeah, terrible timing for Ertz to get hurt. Because you're right. You just put Dallas Goddard in there. And Ertz has been a really good player, but he wants to get paid as a top tight end like George Kittle. And right now, as you point out, with their salary cap situation, they just can't do that. Uh, one thought on the frugality of Paulie Walnuts. No scene ever epitomized that better than when he finds out his mother is not his real mother, but his aunt. And he takes back the TV that he had given her. Like, <laughs> of all the things, Paulie, like, this is the kind of scum 
scumbag you are taking the TV back because this woman looked after you your whole life. You know what I love? I love when he when they're out to dinner, when he's out to lunch with all those old ladies. And he, you know, I love when he would snap his fingers. You know how he snap his fingers like that? It was a great sound, right? <laughs> and he told the waiter to clean, get all the rolls and put them in a bag and take them home. Like, like that is such an old Italian thing. Like if I went ever went out to dinner with my with lunch or with my grandmother or my mother, God rest her soul. She like, oh, you know, the, the leftover bread, put it in the thing. We'll take it at home. We'll have it for breakfast tomorrow morning. <laughs> like, seriously, like, here's this hard fucking roll and I'm going to have it with breakfast. I mean, I could go down to Benny's down the street and get Benny to get me a fresh roll. You know, I mean, Mr. Benny, you know, Mr. Benny was the old, this old Italian baker in Ocean City. He made his own bread. It's the greatest bread you'll ever have in your life. It only lasts one day. One day is all the bread. You, you, we could play baseball with the bread on the next day. <laughs> clearly, you know. So, so you go to Benny's and you walk in there, and Benny looked like a pharmacist. He had those, you know, those glasses that didn't have any uh, overcover their ears. They just put them on your nose, and he had a white coat. And every morning, my fat ass would ride my bike there, and I'd get like a couple. I get, a, I'd go buy, a, I'd get a sandwich for school to take it to high school, and, and and I walk in there and I'd say, "Hey, Mr. Benny," I always call him Mr. Benny, and hello young man and he didn't know my name yellow young man and i said mr benny you know can i have a salami and cheese with with roasted peppers and well you should young man and he would make me a sandwich and i go to school (laughs) as well you should young man uh with that miami coach brian flores is stirring to a tongue of iloa is what's best for the team that's right it is now to a time in south florida Couple parts of this. One, I think this clearly was always the plan, Mike. Let's just get uh, to a little bit of time to watch Ryan Fitzpatrick. We got to buy, then we'll get him in there because clearly he didn't do a lot in garbage time. He completed two throws for nine yards. And November 1st is marking 351 days since that career threatening hip injury. And he's going to make his first NFL start versus the Rams. So making this move now for the Dolphins, like I said, they clearly must have had this all along. Let's just give him a few games to rest and just watch, have a bye week, plug him in there. But how about the comments from Ryan Fitzpatrick? You don't often hear this kind of candor from a veteran player. He said, I was shocked by it. It definitely caught me off guard. It was a hard thing for me to hear yesterday, just kind of digesting the news. My heart just hurt all day. It was heartbreaking for me. He's thinking this could be the last football game he ever plays, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why he was so surprised. I mean, I'm watching the game Monday. And I'm thinking I'm watching the game Sunday live, and and I recommended on 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 the the shuffle. I did it on my I think I did it on Twitter uh, that I take the Dolphins and lay the points. And I'm watching, and I'm up. You know the lines. I think it was nine or nine and a half, and it, you're up twenty four to nothing. And I and he's making me fucking nervous. Like he's making me actually nervous that I did the wrong thing. That I did the wrong thing. It's like these the, these. That these betting recommendations are are like they drive me insane if they don't go well. You know, like last night, I, my my power rankings had the Giants. To, you take the Giants in the four, and because it was a pick'em game, I had this as a pick'em game. Actually, in my power rankings, I had the Giants as slightly better than the Eagles, and and I'm not sure that's wrong, right? I'm not sure that's wrong, but anyway, the point is here is so Fitzy's making me nervous in the game. And then, you know, he throws a red zone interception. He throws another one. You just know he's waiting to become Fitzy. You know he's waiting. And the Jets are so fucking inept, they can't even get out of their own way to get it going, right? So you're like, oh, my God. And then now he's shocked he got benched. Like, seriously, like, Fitzy, come on, know your role. Like, you're, you're never a leading actor. It would be like me going in there and saying, you know, I want Brad Pitt's role. 
You know, like seriously, like, like that ain't going to happen. You know, uh, you know, I, I'm the guy on happy days. I'm out over there cooking in the, in the kitchen, you know, like it ain't going to be Brad Pitt's role. Like seriously, like know your role. It's the, it's the, it's, it's the biggest problem in most sports is players don't understand their role. They have an overinflated opinion of what their role actually is. And you as a coach, you as an executive, you have to kind of constantly in a polite way without insulting them, remind them of what they really, what their role is. Yeah. It's like the rock says, know your role. That's what it's got to be. And as far as Tua is concerned, listen, I don't know how he's going to fare against the Rams. You know, the Rams have some good playmakers on defense, obviously Aaron Donald and so on, but as you said, this was always the plan. Fitzy seventh in QBR, 79.6. Hey, hopefully you get another chance at another point in time. The other major storyline from this week is about the Dallas Cowboys. And it's okay to get criticized publicly by the media. Maybe a couple of players once in a while sound off. But how about anonymous sources going off when it comes to the Dallas Cowboys? NFL media's Jane Slater talked to at least two players who both took some time to anonymously, anonymously excuse me, voice their frustrations with Coach Mike McCarthy. One of the most notable complaints came from one player who claimed that the team had been totally unprepared for games. McCarthy then said the anonymous is something we don't want to recognize, but it's important to recognize anything and everything for a teachable moment. The Cowboys have to be one of the biggest disappointments in football this year. They're at 2-4 and four right now. Mike McCarthy won a Super Bowl 10 years ago, Mike. He won 125 games with the Packers. You can criticize some things about him. You could say that he had a disconnect with Aaron Rodgers, which led to his job. But if you call a coach unprepared, I mean, them's fighting words. I mean, this has got to be a really frustrating source for McCarthy to have this kind of infighting this early in the game. Yeah, you know, I mean, I I wrote the column in The Athletic, and, and they took out the line. And this, is, this is hurtful. They took out the line, and I said, and, and the line that I wrote, and I, and I'm not saying I'm I'm some great writer, but the line I thought was applicable, and they took it out. Uh, I said that you know when I thought when they hired Mike McCarthy in Dallas, they were getting a really good beat cop. They were getting Jimmy Malone, and what it turned out, they got Barney Fife. <laughs> and, and the and my editor said. Nobody knows who Barney Fife is. Like, seriously, am I that old that nobody knows who Barney Fife is? Seriously? Like, everybody has to know. I mean, Barney Fife is one of the classic, you know, I don't even know if Barney was a beat cop. I mean, can you imagine the two of them sat in the office all day? They were supposed to be policing Mayberry. I mean, like, seriously, (laughs) you know? But anyway, I I mean, McCarthy, I'm disappointed in that he spent his whole offseason in that cabin up there at his home in Green Bay. And he came away with Mike and Mike Nolan as his defensive coordinator, and and some of the, and the comments directed by the player, and they know who the player is. I know who the player is. I'm not going to say it, but they know who the player is that said it. The player is well respected in the locker room, and he's a smart player. Uh, the other player they were directed to was Tomasula, who really was a good coach. And I'm ca- I was counting on Tomasula to make their D line play at a higher level, and it clearly hasn't been the case. And I think that if you're McCarthy, again, the chief figure out officer, right? If you're McCarthy and you're watching this defense for six weeks, just blow coverages, not play with fundamentals, not play with techniques, don't you come and have a meeting and say, look, Mike, here's what we're going to do. We're going to simplify this shit. We're going to practice what we call in the game. We're going to simplify it. We're going to work on our fundamentals. We're going to work on our technique. We're going to tackle better. We're going to strip the ball. We're not going to run all this crazy as Lou Holtz. Lou Holtz used to walk up to walk up to coaches and say, are you a schemer? Are you a, are you a teacher? You know, in that lisp that he used to have, schemer, schemer, schemer. He'd walk around the office, schemer. He's a fucking schemer, you know, because the coaches would want to do 5,000 things that, that none of the players could do. 
you know, and Lou would just go crazy and say, he's a schemer, he's a schemer, you know, and, and, and go berserk. And then the next thing would be, you know, Lou would, Lou being the head coach that Lou was would say, fuck, we're not doing that. You know, no more scheming, just get the players to execute better. And I think that's what's going on in Dallas. And I think that's what the players are complaining about. They keep overloading more volume, more volume, more volume. That looks wonderful on a blackboard. It looks great on the grease board. It just doesn't come through when it, when it needs to play. So, I mean, you know, I, look, I wrote about it. Jerry, AD, it's unbelievable. Jerry Jones has, since 1995, 25 years, he's only been to the playoffs 10 times. Wow. He's never been to a conference championship game since, since, two, since 1995. Never. Yet in that 25 years, he got himself into the Hall of Fame. Like, I really think that's the book I need to write. I really think I need to write the book of football. Like, just break down the hall. And like use film, video, whatever, and really separate the Hall of Fame into wings. The PR wing, these guys got in for PR. These guys got in for their ability to play. These guys got in because they played the game at the perfect time that maybe they wouldn't be as good today as they were then. There's nothing wrong with it. That just was the game, right? And then, you know, these are the guys that probably are overrated. These are the guys that should be in the Hall of Fame, you know. And stuff like, I, I think there's a book out there like that. Yeah, I mean, listen, from your column, I like the fact you said McCarthy is not Jimmy Malone. The boys are still doing exactly what Jones wants to do. McCarthy is not involved in the flow, is essentially only deciding when to kick or when to punt. Why would McCarthy agree to coach the Cowboys without coaching the Cowboys? Yes, he gets paid handsomely, and yes, the Cowboys are a marquee team, but this makes no sense. And this was the key part of your article in The Athletic. I encourage everyone to read it. Jones is what people refer to in the business world as having the Dunning-Kruger effect of management. Their lack of self-awareness creates a void in evaluating their performance, leading to poor results over an extended period of time. You would think, Mike, with their brand equity, with their money, with that stadium, with the amount of people who love the Cowboys, want to play for the Cowboys, like he prints money. Like as a businessman, nobody's denying Jerry Jones is incredibly successful. But when it comes to winning, 1995? That's incredible. He's had such a run, uh, such a dry spell. Do you think he just, do you think he ever, when he's on that helicopter rod from Highland to, to, to Frisco, from his home in Highland to Frisco, that he thinks, you know, maybe I'm just not really good at this? Does he ever, do you think he thinks of that? You think he thinks like, you know, it's been 25 years. I haven't kissed the trophy. I've got all these toys. I mean, you know, like what, what do they say in Batman? Where does he get those incredible toys, right? Yeah, you know, right. it's like, where does he get all these toys? Like, but you know, he's got all the toys, but he doesn't have any trophies. I mean, if Jerry would just, just, just get out of his way, you know, and, and I mean, the, the 25 years and no one talks about the greatness of how Jimmy Johnson really built the team. Parcells had the greatest line of all AD. He said, he said, you know, when he left the Cowboys, he said, in 10 years, they won't even remember I was here. And what he meant by that was that, and I wish I, I remember that somebody told me that line after I wrote the column, and I wish I would have put it in there because I remembered it, is basically what he's saying is all the work that I've done to lay the culture and the foundation and to change the methodology within this building, well, in 10 years, nobody will even know that I tried to do that. Because it'll go revert right back to it. It'll go right back to the substitute teacher. There's no discipline. Everybody reports to Jerry. The Al Davis model, which really, you know, Jerry claims he got the model from Al Davis, but the re the difference is Al Davis watched watch video every day. Al Davis worked on football every day. Al Davis could could put up, uh, you know, you could you could not challenge X's and O's with Al Davis. I mean, he knew it. He knew it. 
you know, now he babied the players and he got love with scholarship guys. I mean, there was, we all have our own faults, but Jerry's football acumen. And like I wrote in the column, he ain't in the hall for his football acumen. I mean, seriously, he's in there because he's a great PR man and he's, and this ability to convince us that his team's really good. When in the last 25 years, they, they haven't been is remarkable. I mean, you blow Tony Romo's career, right? You get you get nothing out of that. You have one of the greatest coaches of all time in Bill Parcells, and you still don't get to the Final Four. The Dunning-Kruger effect. And like you said, he learned this, as uh, you know, having worked for Al Davis, a guy who's going to be involved in everything. And micromanaging only works to a certain extent. Eventually, you got to delegate. you got to bring in different voices, especially when you haven't had that success for a long time. Um, do you want to talk a little more trade deadline? I know you were mentioning briefly the Ravens getting in Gawkway. Any more trade deadline conversation you want to dive into? You know, I think we're going to see, uh, I think Kyle Rudolph, they, they're going to try to dump him as best they can. I, I wouldn't be surprised last night, Evan Ingram. I know teams have called on Evan Ingram. The, the Giants say no, even though the Giants have cap issues. The team that I'm waiting to do something is Atlanta. Like I keep waiting for Atlanta to wake up and put some cold water on their face and say, you know what? We got some real issues. I mean, we're twenty-five million over the cap next year. We only have thirty-two players. Thirty-five. They're thirty. Twenty-five million over the cap. If the cap stays the same, we only have thirty-two players. And you know, I mean, I would hold a liquidation sale. You know, I mean, why not? Like, where are we going? Like, seriously, like, where where is Atlanta going to go? Like, trade Julio. You know, trade trade Gary Jarrett. You know, trade Alec Math if some if somebody will take him. You know, trade trade these guys if if you can get something for them. You know, you know, what are you doing? I mean, really, what are we doing? Celebrated the win up. Now you know they're not going to do that because Raheem Morris wants to win. He wants that job, and get God give him credit for it. But in the short term, he may win, and he may give, and and they may keep that job. In the long term, they're hurting their team. Yeah, at this point, you can say to yourself, "Hey, come on, divest yourself of your assets." I mean, that's clearly what the Vikings did in this case. Passers for Yannick Ngakwe going to the Ravens. Baltimore already leads the NFL in fewest points allowed per game, 17.3. Now they got a great pass rusher. Do you think the Falcons should just start selling the farm? You can always tweet us at M Lombardi NFL on Twitter, myself, Adnan S. Verk. You can also follow our show's Instagram page at the GM Shuffle. You mentioned those moves could be being made, Mike. One more move, and then we'll get into some picks. The Seahawks are one of the teams looking at Antonio Brown. Stop me if you heard this before. Both of Seattle's quarterbacks, Russell Wilson and Geno Smith, are friends with AB, worked out with them during the offseason. They remained in touch with them. Organization intrigued by the idea of matching Brown with an MVP candidate like Wilson in that offense. The NFL suspended Brown for eight games without pay for multiple violations of the league's personal conduct policy the league announced in July. What do you think? If you're Pete Carroll, do you want to bring the volatile, the tempestuous, but also very talented Antonio Brown to Seattle? I do if he promises me. He hasn't been on Twitter or Instagram lately. Like, he hasn't done any of that, right? He's actually been behaving. I mean, who's ever representing him now? He's actually doing a good job of cutting down his, you know, he's not making noise. He's, he, whether he's taking his medicine, I don't know what he's doing, but at least he looks like he's trying to behave. So, you know, for me, yeah, I mean, I think Seattle, I mean, look, Seattle is a team that they really are more about, uh, they need to be able to, uh, outscore people. They're never going to outstop people. They need to be able to outscore people. And I think that ultimately that's going to be the key is they've got to be able to keep scoring and giving Antonio Brown in there with their offense is, I mean, they're never going to get, to me, Seattle and Tennessee are similar teams in the sense that 
They both are not good on defense, and they just have to be able to win with their offense. Seattle has done it. They're undefeated. Tennessee has done it. I mean, Tennessee scored 82 points in the first half so far this year. You know, you would think they would be the number one team in first half point differential. They're not because their defense isn't very good. Their defense has kind of gotten away with it. They've gotten away from it because they've been able to hide it. So, yeah, I do. I think there's going to be a lot of play on Seattle. A lot of teams need that kind of receiver, whether it's Baltimore. I know they put Des Bryant on the practice squad. They're going to need that. Just keep them off social media, and you got yourself a good chance at a great wide receiver. After the break, a marquee matchup, Steelers and Titans, the last two undefeated teams in the AFC plus Mike's Pick of the Week. And later on, we'll open up the GM Shuffle mailbag. Don't go anywhere. All right, anytime you're on the golf course, you always hear the phrase, hit it long and hit it straight. Well, as somebody who's a novice to the game of golf, a new person, I wanted to make sure I had the best equipment possible. So, as a novice golfer, I went and hit up our friends over at PXG because they have an all-new driver called the Black Ops. I mean, my man Chris over in Henderson has hooked me up with a phenomenal driver that's built to my game. My new game that doesn't really do much of anything on the course, but it has what I need in terms of the club head speed and the kind of grip that I need to go out there and be the best to my ability. I mean, this is music to ears to any golfer, whether you're a novice like myself or if you've been playing the game for decades. The PXG Black Ops driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Op drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus for unreal forgiveness. That's just ridiculously high. So what you got to do, go check out the PXG Black Ops driver. You'll be as impressed with it as I am. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment at pxg.com slash gmshuffle and use code gmshuffle at checkout. That's pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle for free shipping on all equipment, pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle. All right, last week, Mike, 6-8-1 and one against the spread on the season. What's your record after week six of football? So now I got back up to, I think I'm now I am 500, right? So last week I went two, I, I think I, I posted my picks online. I was three and one last week. So now I'm nine, nine and one overall. I'm 55, 31 and three uh, for picking games over there. So like what I'm going to do is, is because of COVID, I, I, I like picking games here. I want people to listen to the pod, but I'm also going to tweet out, you know, games where I see Sunday morning, because I think what's really happened, as I mentioned last week, the line movements on Sunday are fascinating, you know, and we're seeing that. I mean, like last night, the Eagles, that line opened up the Eagles at six. It, it moved to, it moved to closed at four and a half. It went down to four. The line movement tells you a lot. And, and I think Sunday, follow Twitter, you know, look up and I'll be, I'll post all the picks. I'll repost the picks as well. Perfect. Let's kick it off first with the Steelers and the Titans. 5-0 and for both of these teams. The Titans had 16 days between games after their COVID-19 outbreak and still Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry have been getting it done. Henry in particular last week, numbers were gigantic. Now he's going to face a great defense in the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're particularly good against the pass, so it could make tough uh, times tough, at least for Ryan Tannehill. And Ben Roethlisberger, Mike, how about this? He's 38 years of age. He actually has the best completion percentage right now of his career. His passing yards have been great, touchdowns as well. Uh, what do you think? Steelers at the Titans, two 5-0 teams. Something's got to give. Something's got to give. Something's got to give. I mean, you know, and the reality here is, which, which is really kind of interesting, is there's been four times in the NFL where two undefeated teams this late in the season 
have played, and the winner has gone on to the Super Bowl. So in 1973, the Rams traveled to Minnesota. Remember that old twin stadium that they used to play to in Bloomington, where now the Mall of America sits? The Rams went in there. The Vikings won in that game 10-9. wonder who had the under in that game. And then 2004, the undefeated Jets. Yes, that's right, the undefeated Jets. They went to, uh, they traveled to New England at 5-0, and the Patriots won 13-7. Then in 07, the 8-0 Patriots traveled to Indianapolis to face the 7-0 Colts. The Patriots won that game 24-20. And then in 15, uh, the 6-0 Packers faced the 6-0 Broncos at mile high, and the Broncos won 29-10. So they don't, that, those games don't happen very often, but when they do, the winner comes out and usually goes to the Super Bowl. Will that happen? I don't know. COVID's going to throw everything up in the air. But I think when you break down this game, I think the Steelers offensively have been really have gotten better over the last couple of weeks. I think we saw it. They've scored 38 points two weeks in a row against Philadelphia and Cleveland. And Tennessee defensively is not good. You know, I know he's the greatest football player of all time. And I know that when they signed Javion Clowney, that most of the national media just said it's the greatest football player. He's amazing. You know, what he can do, it's remarkable. You know, and I was, you know, and I kept saying, you know, like at some point, somebody's got to look at this. Never had double-digit sacks. He doesn't play in all the games. Of course, he doesn't have a sack at all. The, the Titans defensively are not good. They're just not. Uh, you know, they're they're not able to really ever get control of the game. Uh, you know, I think Buffalo was their best game by far defensively this year on the season. They come back last week. Houston scores 36. Minnesota scored 30. I mean, Jacksonville scored 30 on them. So this is a game where which side of the ball the weakness of the team. We know the Steelers' defense is really good. We know the Titans' offense is really good. I mean, I think Arthur Smith should be on every head coaching list candidate. I mean, because the guy he replaced who got a head coaching job in Green Bay, he's made this team better. Arthur Smith is better than Matt LaFleur. Just just, just compare him, right? Now, Arthur Smith doesn't have the cachet that Matt LaFleur did because he worked for Sean McVay. I mean, of course, Arthur Smith's got his dad, Fred Smith, which, which could go a long way. But anyway, the reality of it is this guy's done an incredible, incredible job. They're almost 50% on third down. But how about this, AD? The Titans' defense gives up almost 60% third down conversions in the game. It's really remarkable how bad they are on defense. They give up over five point yards a carry. You know, they've they've allowed 13 touchdown passes already this year and they've scored 13. So it's really, really uh, a, a bad defense. I like Pittsburgh here. The line has moved all the way. Pittsburgh opened up as a favorite. The line went. Now, Tennessee, now you're getting Pittsburgh in the points. When I look at my numbers, I have Pittsburgh should be the favorite. I don't trust Guskowski. If you take if you take the Titans in a close game, you're saying Guskowski is going to make some tough kicks. I don't know if that's going to be the case. I had this game as a three-point favorite. I had Pittsburgh as a three-point favorite. Now you're going to give me a point. I'll take Pittsburgh. All right, next up, Seahawks taking on the Arizona Cardinals on Sunday night football. How about this matchup? Seattle's 5-0, and Arizona is 4-2. and Russell Wilson versus Kyler Murray. You've also got two premier wide receivers. Jadre Hopkins currently leading all receivers, receiving yards. DK Metcalf was first before the Seattle has the bye. He's now eighth. But, God, just offenses alone, Mike, I feel like take the over. This is going to be awfully fun to watch. Seahawks or Arizona, who do you got? Well, I, I mean, I'm not going to pick this one because I'm never going against Russell Wilson. I mean, that's just a rule. I'm not doing it. But when you break this game down, they moved it into the, the, the Sunday night window. You know, everybody's going to be on Seattle on this game. And my power rankings, I literally have Arizona ranked higher than, than Seattle. I mean, I have Arizona as the sixth best team. Now, that's based on numbers, and that's based on who you've played. Arizona's strength of schedule is 29. 
29th so far this season. They really haven't beat, they haven't played anybody tough, right? You know, and, you know, they've lost to Detroit and they've lost to Carolina. And I think Carolina's an improving team. Detroit's got some things that goes well for them. But the reality for me here is I'm not going against Russell Wilson, but my numbers say take Arizona and the points. I think that I have it as Arizona should be slightly more than a three-point favorite. You know, Arizona's not getting any action on them whatsoever. I would I'd lean towards Arizona here. I'm not recommending it. I'm scared of it. I, I go to, you know, Russ, I'm not going, I'm not watching Russell Wilson destroy me again. I'm just not doing it. <laughs> if you guys want to do it, go ahead. Feel free. I'm about to say, you got to learn your lessons whatever happens in the past. The Chicago Bears at five and one taking the LA Rams at four and two. This game, I, I'm really going to watch closely, Mike, because I haven't seen enough of the Bears so far this year. And I go, hang on a second. You're really five and one, like now with Nick Foles in charge, like their defense must be playing out of their minds. And now they'll get a test against Jared Goff and obviously those two great receivers and Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. Bears on the road, I feel like Rams are the pick. What do you think? Five and one Bears, four and two Rams. Uh, you know, uh, this one's a hard one again. I'm not going to play it. The, 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 when you watch Jared Goff, every game he's played against Chicago and that defensive front, it's been a real problem. It's been a huge problem. And, and he hasn't played well. And that bothers him. I thought the Rams played poorly last week up in San Francisco. You know, I I can't imagine they're going to play as badly this week as they did. But when you break this game down, I mean, you've got to go with Chicago in this game. I mean, you you almost have to. A lot of people, Chicago hasn't beaten anybody, yada, yada, yada. You know, but I think when you look at this, it's kind of interesting. The line has moved. It opened up at five and a half. Now you're getting six and the Rams. That's a lot of points to get. When I break down the game on my numbers, I had the line should be four and a half. Now you're going to give me six. I think you almost have to take the Bears in a six-point game. I don't, I'm not, again, I'm not recommending it because I don't trust Nick Foles. I don't trust the Bears offense. I have it as a six, but but that's the what my numbers say. Last week, just for reference, last week my numbers were 10 and four. The week before that, my numbers were 10 and four. The week before that, I was 11 and five. So the numbers usually are pretty good. I just never have enough guts, AD, to stay, to stay with them. I talk myself out of them. I mean, it's it really should be a psychological study. Like, I just don't have the guts to do it. <laughs> well, the numbers never lie. And as long as your numbers are bearing the truth, that's good news. Like you said, 11 and five. One more game to discuss. And once again... If you want Mike's picks, M. Lombardi NFL, Sunday morning, he will post those for all your gambling advice. And of course, by the way, DraftKings, we love DraftKings, so that's the easiest way to make your picks. Honestly, we can encourage you to check out the most up-to-the-date betting lines by using the DraftKings Sportsbook app. One more game to discuss. The Panthers are 3-3. Three and three. The New Orleans Saints are 3-2. and two. Michael Thomas is listed as questionable. Obviously, the wide receiver there for New Orleans. How do you handicap this matchup here? Two teams. The Saints could be 500 with a loss, was Carolina could be making some noise with the arrow trending up. You know, th- this is, I mean, Arizona's, I mean, excuse me, Carolina has just been beat up. I mean, they've got so many injuries that, you know, but they played last week. They had a chance last week. I mean, they're driving down the field. They got a wide open on fourth down. They got a wide open seven cut to DJ Moore and Bridgewater just made a bad throw in it. I mean, I like Carolina's team. You know, I love Matt Rule. I like everything about Matt Rule. I think this is a close game. I think Carolina is going to be a popular pick come Sunday. I think, you know, I have it as a 2.37 game. 
you know, uh, and you're getting seven and a half in this game. I think Carolina, I don't play uh, because my son's there. I can't play Carolina. I think it'll be a great game. Carolina's defensive front starting to play really well. Burns, the kid they drafted in the first round last year, Derek Brown, they're going to be able to put some pressure. I think, you know, teams that watch the Saints. Now, Michael Thomas pulls his hamstring earlier in the week. Can he come back and play? I don't know. You know, they say he's a fast healer. We shall see. But, uh, you know, I lean towards Carolina. Once again, on Sunday morning, I'll have all, I'll have at least four picks for you Sunday morning. So pay attention. All right. Look forward to that. Well, coming up next, Mike and I will open up the GM Shuffle mailbag, answer a question about Sam Darnold and the Jets. That's next. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, the second round of the playoffs have been absolutely phenomenal, and if you really like a team, you can bet on them for the futures markets, maybe some conference finals MVPs as the conference finals approach, or how about NBA finals MVP? And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance, see dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. As always, you can get in touch with us, thegmshuffle at gmail.com. This is from Nick Kulatami sliding into my DMs. Hey guys, with the Jets allegedly tanking for Trevor Lawrence, I'd love to hear you and Lombardi's thoughts about what will happen with Sam Darnold and where is a potential fist best fit would be. I'm a huge Steelers fan. I'd love for them to grab him for the post-Ben era. Love the pod. Stay safe. Well, I don't think Ben's ready to go just yet, but yes, he is in his late 30s right now. I think the Jets are in the driver's seat, Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes, so I think they'll draft him and Darnold will go somewhere. Haven't looked at yet, Mike, where he could go, but Pittsburgh, God, if Sam Darnold goes to Pittsburgh, he should feel great about his life. Yeah, I mean, look, they're gonna, you know, there's going to be a lot of teams interested, I think, in Sam Darnold because they're going to feel like the Ryan Tannehill. Like, so Ryan Tannehill coached by Adam Gase, you know, and I was, a, I was not a big believer in Ryan Tannehill. I thought when the game played when the game got fast on third down, especially in the numbers verified it, that he couldn't play fast. But in this offense, you know, with a lot of play action and the way Arthur Smith has set it up, Tannehill has proven to be a better player for Arthur Smith than he ever was for Adam Gase. And so, you know, there's going to be a moment of that that's going on with Sam Darnold. You know, he's a good kid. You know, my son Mick coached him. He's, he works hard. There's a lot to like about Sam Darnold. You got to straighten some things out. You got to get the turnovers. But I don't think he's been in the systems enough. You know, he's had systems change on him quite a bit. I think he's going to get a lot of action. I think Indianapolis will be a team that certainly looks at him. You have to believe that. You know, you have to believe Pittsburgh will look at, at you know, giving away an asset. I think that's going to be the case. I think the Jets will get a lot, not a lot, you know, but I think there'll be supply and demand. So you only get a lot 
when teams, when there's competition, you know, you know, not all, will the teams picking in the first 15 picks of the draft give up a one? I doubt that. Will the teams picking in the bottom of half of the draft give up a one? I probably think so. Will some teams in the top of the second give up a two if they wanted them? Maybe. So I think a lot of it's going to be pretended, but I don't think you can predict that now. Everybody's saying, well, the Jets won't get much for Darnold. You can't say that right now because you don't know the supply and demand. It's really based on the economics of the situation. No question, because some team will say, listen, this guy is a good quarterback in our system. He can be a great quarterback and quarterback Quarterbacks are always at a premium, even if Darnold hasn't shown that as of yet. Uh, closing thoughts here, and you mentioned Jerry Jones in his house. I still think about his draft night yacht, which was incredible to think about where he's, what he's thinking about when he's there. And a Sopranos question on who wants to be a millionaire. My brother texted me last night. Here is the question. I know Mike is going to get it because I got it right away. But for all of you playing along, for $125,000, in the infamous cut-to-black final scene of The Sopranos, Tony and his family are sitting in a booth at a restaurant snacking on what? A, shrimp cocktail, B, onion rings, C, chicken fingers, D, nachos. The answer, Mike, of course, is onion rings. The best in the, the, best in the area. Holston's onion rings. Who wouldn't love Holston? <laughs> Tiffany Haddish, by the way, got the answer wrong. She said shrimp cocktail. I'm like, are you kidding me? Do you think, do you think Tony and his family are going to sit down for shrimp cocktail? No, they're having... Well, first of all, yeah. I mean, if you just... If you just analyze the question, shrimp cocktail isn't something you share. Shrimp cocktail is something that comes to you, and then you might give somebody something, but it's not a plate that you share. You you might pass it along, but when the, the question is asked, are you sharing something, it's either got to be like nachos you share onion rings you share, french fries you share. So, you know, that's it. Tiffany Haddish, thumbs down, shrimp cocktail. As you said, she didn't even, didn't even parse the question correctly. Uh, as always, we appreciate your support. You can follow at M. Lombardi NFL. Once again, if you want his picks, betting advice, use DraftKings Sportsbook app, same as his Twitter handle. He'll tweet out his picks on Sunday. You can follow me at Nan S. Ferk, and of course, our show page at the GM Shuffle. we got some great games coming up. Make sure you join us on Monday. Stay safe. We'll talk to everybody soon.